welcome to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. My co-host, Jonathan Patrick. Joining is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. What is going on, my man? Very interesting weekend in Major League Rugby. Yeah, yeah, the interesting news just continues, although at least it's a little more positive this week than after last week and the week before that. Yeah, so I think when we recorded last week, we were sharing rumors of a team that was going to um, uh, <laughs> fold from the league or not make it to, to 2024, and it turned out to be the New York Ironworkers. And I think we had heard some inklings of it, but, um, you know, it was, I think, for, for the average fan, hearing about that the first time is probably pretty surprising right again because of, because of the big market but you know we'll talk about New York here uh, in a second and what MLR looks like moving forward and as you mentioned a lot of f- interesting stuff happened in, in MLR we've got the New York and Toronto player dispersal draft maybe we even chat about a team based in Mexico that might be joining MLR in 2025 so AKP certainly a lot to talk about but let's right off the jump First whistle here. Let's talk about New York. They are out. They are not playing in MLR in 2024. AKP, (laughs) we saw the rumors. People were freaking out a little bit. What was your initial reaction when you saw that it was official? I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, like you said in the intro, we sort of had an inkling of this. It's New York... I mean, that team had already been sold. They weren't on their original owners still. The The team had been sold on to an equity group, and they seemed to be struggling for attendance. They were struggling for a good location to play in, something that Old Glory fans will will have an issue that they'll, they'll recognize and um, empathize with. But, you know, it just sort of seemed like they were struggling to get traction there, and... Apparently they were they were trying to sell the team again, sell it on, and I think what we've seen is that anytime you get these sort of unstable ownership groups, you get groups that they're not passion for the game and a willingness to lose tons of money aren't necessarily their their primary features, and it they they seem to struggle to keep the teams on the field for more than a a year or two. And it's really unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate to see a, another team go down, another fan base to to lose their team. So AKP, should we have seen the signs here? And, and what I mean by that is, and again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you know, New York went through multiple rebrands. They had to go to a bunch of different venues to to try and make it work. Of course, we all remember you know the high school field that they played at um, in in Jersey or Jersey City, and then it seemed like they had a a stable place out there in Mount Vernon. But also in the off season, we saw all the other teams making player announcements and New York not making any player announcements. But we kept hearing rumors about, you know, these former All Blacks coming over. Should we have seen this coming with New York, given all those warning signs? I mean, you know, it's easy to say yes because of hindsight, but I think it is difficult to tell that these things are are happening because sometimes i mean you look at old glory old glory has almost certainly set their roster for the next season but you know there's still 12 players from the 
last year's roster that you know we don't know whether they're re-signed or not they've only signed about or announced i think it's 25 or 27 signings and that's so you know there's still you know it makes it look like they've got not a complete roster even though you know it's it's only a few months until the competition but that's sort of not actually a reflection of how it is behind the scenes and so you get a lot of teams too that like to you know not space out their individual announcements and just you know big bang here's the entire roster all at once and so it it's not necessarily obvious but i do think things like the rebrand things like the the change in ownership and the type of ownership group that it was afterwards it was you know and held together by an equity company where you know they've got specific ideas of the sort of returns they're going to want to see and so i think that's the sort of stuff that going forward looking at other teams i'm going to be looking for and saying oh that's a that's a reason to be concerned because it, it's worth mentioning that until very recently we hadn't seen teams collapse i mean aside from the the gilcrest teams who you know that was a very unique situation there an, an owner becoming rapidly insolvent like that that was unexpected and you know that that was sort of its own situation but you look at things going forward i mean if if a team loses a major investor from now on i'm going to take that as a definitely as a sign that the team could be in some serious trouble you know whereas before i might not have because we didn't necessarily know whether that was going to be you know we hadn't seen it before and now we have seen it so i think i don't know if we should have been able to predict it before but definitely going forward i think we can look for these signs look for teams that have instability in their ownership and are maybe struggling with some of the the logistical challenges of the league and and take that as a sign that they might be in some serious trouble yeah and i agree with that and you know i think we're fortunate here in dc that the the ownership group is very appears to be pretty stable right you know dunlavey and and she he are uh you know anchors of the the dc rugby community it doesn't seem like their flybys are going anywhere right so i think that that's great news for old glory and certainly <laughs> having money helps and bringing in some new um, outside investors certainly helps and the Association of Scottish Rugby Union that helps but I guess my question then becomes you know is it was it a market misfit in New York which sounds crazy to say right because New York is so freaking big so many people what I mean there had to be a good number of rugby fans and people who play rugby that and I get New York's an expensive place to play um, so certainly trying to play within you know the confines of the five boroughs may be difficult but is New York not the right market right now? Or is that just separate and it's just, you know, going back to the issues of the, you know, instability of the owners? I mean, that's a good question. And that's one of those ones where you, you counterfactual is that's hard to know. But it is one of those where you, you think about it and, you know, maybe it was just a, a bad strategy. Maybe that ownership group just needed to promote more. Maybe they just needed to go bigger Maybe they're trying to be a little too low cost, a little too sustainable, and they needed to just really get the word out there, try and go big, sort of like San Diego has, where they've they've really blown it up, and you know it seems to be at quite a great cost, but with a big return. Maybe New York needed something like that, and it was just a, a strategy issue. But 
you know, it's it's hard to tell. And maybe they just needed more time. You know, they they barely got I mean, I think I don't think they managed to play at the same location two years in a row. Certainly not towards the end there. So you you know, maybe they just needed to pick one place to play and, you know, for better or worse, stick with it to try and grow an audience to try and really you know because new york is so big like you you go from one side of the north of new york to the other and it's it's basically a different city you know people from the south from south of new york aren't going to come to the north of new york because that's you know it takes them hours to do it and so i think it makes sense that they struggled there and i think you know maybe they should have just picked one area and, and gone for it but but who knows? You know, maybe that would have that would have had its own struggles. You would have had your own issues with that. And they, you know, a lot of those th- that high school field they couldn't have kept there. <laughs> that was not a long term option for them. And so, you know, it's it's difficult to tell. And I think we can we can speculate. I think I hope that the people who are making these sorts of decisions, especially for other MLR teams, I hope they're looking into this and sort of trying to get the, uh, to learn as much as they can from, from these, from the class of, of these teams. So AKP, what happens next here? Because I'm kind of looking over a list here of some, some big names that were, it seemed like they had signed or are going to be signed by New York, but got held up because of all this was going on. But, you know, just starting here in the U.S., some men's eagles, uh, Chris Matina, right? Fullback from going from Chicago to New York. You had another men's eagle, Nate Osberger from San Diego, going to New York, you know, scrum half winger. Or what have you. And then there were a couple of ex-New Zealand, some all-blacks. Aaron Cruden was one. You know, like all these big names, you know, that was certainly going to get a lot of attention. Now, no longer seemingly joining New York. You know, does Matina go back to Chicago? Does Nate go back to San Diego? I mean, we're leaving a couple other names off here. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the dispersal draft in a second. But is it going to be awkward for those players? What do they do? Just say just kidding can i come back and play yeah i mean i have no idea i really i am curious about that you know how much of a a grudge do the the teams hold because i mean i think back to high school and there was a kid on our team who you know he started out on our team and then he moved schools and started he went to a you know i was in a public school and he he went off to a private school and started playing for their team and man we we held a grudge. We we definitely held it uh, against him when we came across him on the field. But you know, these are professionals. I'm sure you know those teams would be happy to have them back. If if they are happy to have them back, then I'm I'm sure you know they could work it out and it wouldn't be that much of a problem. Everyone's making business decisions here, trying to you know figure out that they're all trying to to succeed, and so. You know, you. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, right? And and of course, they're all, you know, the three players that we talked about there. At least you know, and certainly the two, uh, Nate and Chris. You feel like they're going to continue playing uh, in Major League Rugby and would have a spot somewhere on a team. But a lot of these rosters now seem to be pretty full, right? And 
And this could be a good segue now into the, the New York and, and Toronto player dispersal draft. You know, and certainly I want to bring up this first thing here. Just days before the draft, which is going to be taking place on Wednesday, which is where we're recording right now, or when we're recording right now, but Chicago announced that uh, Dylan Fawcett has signed with Chicago. And my first reaction was, oh, how is he able to sign before the dispersal draft? It seems like he was not under um, contract by uh, New York, so he was free to sign anywhere, which, okay, I guess. And then Chris Matina uh, responded to a tweet, I think that uh, Brian Ray from America's Rugby News said something about how you know, he was a free agent, so he'll count against the cap, so he can go anywhere. But Matina brought up, well, with the L.A. Austin thing, when that folded, I was a free agent and I had to enter the draft and not sa- not sign as a free agent. So, you know, what, you know, there seems to be these kind of fast and loose rules or something or gentlemen's agreements. I don't know what's going on, but I was surprised when I saw that Dylan Falson was signed by Chicago prior to the place, the player dispersal draft. Granted, even if he is a, a free agent, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, they, I don't want to say they pulled a fast one, but, um, was Dylan probably going to go there anyway? Probably, but if you look at, you know, they were going to be picking third with Miami picking first and Dallas picking second in this dispersal draft. I'm sure Dylan Fawcett's high on the list of both those squads. So he could have gone there, but now he's in Chicago. So if you're Miami and Dallas, you're probably like, what the heck happened there? Right? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it really highlights that the league really needs to be more transparent about these things. I mean, it's it's all very well... I get that they don't want to draw a whole ton of attention to dispersal drafts after a, a team has collapsed. This isn't something they want to market or make a big deal of because it, it highlights the failure of teams. But it's something where, you know, there are a lot of question marks. It's difficult to understand and follow as a fan. And to be honest, from what the players are saying, it sounds like it's confusing for them as well. And I think it's it's pretty clear that, you know, whether the union vote goes through or not and at the start of the season, it's pretty clear that some sort of player representation is necessary in MLR. You need to have, I mean, it's crazy that the league just makes these things happen, makes these huge decisions about players' lives and players don't seem to be consulted or involved in them at all. And that, I think... I think that's something that pretty clearly has to change and is that's made pretty obvious by the way this is going. Yeah, and that union vote, I believe, when we talked about it a few episodes ago, a couple months ago, it was going to take some take place sometime in February. All of the players need to get into camp. You know, need to start to figure out who's really going to latch on with these teams. And I guess the encouraging news out of all of everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks is that there will be a 2024 uh, MLR season. It seems like you know, L.A. is going to be playing in 2024 from everything that I've heard from some folks who uh, you know, have some inside stuff. It sounds like L.A. did meet their capital call. But look, it's it's, you know, <laughs> December 13th here. We're coming up on the end of the year pretty quickly. We haven't heard any branding, any news. There's no season schedule, which has me a little concerned. In fact, a couple days ago, I think maybe it was last week, I put out a a poll, a quick question asking, you know, when should this LA rugby team put out some type of announcement? Should they do it before or after 
the new year, and I think overwhelmingly it was like 95% said they need to put something out before the end of the year. So I guess my question is, what is the holdup? If they're meeting their capital calls, they're going to be drafting here. You know, they've got the fourth pick. Are they maybe waiting to get through this player dispersal draft so they can have a couple of players that they can announce to let people know who's on the squad? But they should already have a couple players already. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those where if they're going to play in 2024, things have to be settled already. They already have to have a a place to play and some players to play on the team. Like It's too late to be... If they're still figuring those things out, it's, it's pretty much... It's getting to be too late to to figure that stuff out before 2024 and so if they're going to compete in 2024 you you assume that that's all straightened out already in which case why are they not saying anything it i don't understand it i don't know like it's one of i would love to know because it's inexplicable to me especially as a, a marketing professional myself it's like i why you wouldn't have at re- least released your name and logo and you know try and build some hype even if you don't really have a lot of details just try and be like oh yeah this thing's gonna happen this is you know get excited for it i i don't know i don't it doesn't make any sense to me i don't understand the the thought process that could lead to to this sort of silence i think the the owners of this la franchise are also owners of the tel aviv heat and rugby in the rugby europe cup so I'm just going to go out on a limb, and you can't call the L.A. team the Heat because that would be weird because there's the Miami Heat in basketball. But if you want to play off that connective tissue, L.A. Fire, or maybe do you play a little Spanish angle and L.A. and Fuego? What do you think? That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> the show's gone off the rails already. I'm trying to speak <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, AKP, we got to move on because... You know, speaking of Dylan Fawcett signing with Chicago, there's been a couple other big signings um, outside of this dispersal draft, which is going to be taking place. And we'll be hearing about that. I think teams will be releasing over the next couple of days. I wonder how coordinated that will be given like the L.A. situation. So I'd love to see some type of coordination across the teams there just about this situation. But Greg Peterson, USA men's eagle lock, who's been playing for years in Europe, is right now on a short-term loan with... Um, Glasgow Warriors in the URC, he is going to be playing for the San Diego Legion. That's a pretty big get. I think Greg's been rumored to come to MLR for a while, but San Diego got a good one. I mean, that is yeah. that's about as good as you can get as a lock <laughs> in the league. Yeah, it seems to be interesting that uh, I think you've had a lot of of USA Eagles head back to the States, come back to MLR and I, th- I think it seems to be intentional. It seems to be like you want to be part of the, the USA setup, come back to the the U.S., play in the MLR, get tons of minutes, because if you're playing for the Eagles, you're a good player, you're going to get a ton of minutes. And, you know, come be the big fish in the small pond. And and that seems to be the way to, to get get in with the Eagles. And so it's it's interesting to see him... Heading to San Diego. Indeed. He'll probably slot right in as a, as a starter. So San Diego got a good one. I mean, they're continuing their march right back to the shield. I don't think they've dropped off too much. You know, they, they, they did sign a, 
a young fly half out of New Zealand. I think Lincoln McCutchie, I think I said his name correctly. I read up on him a little bit. I think people are excited about him. You know, of course, Will Hooley retired, but, uh, you know, Mananu, we don't know about him yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. I don't know how much more he can contribute at what, 43 or 44 now? Take that, Tom Brady. But um, we'll see. Moving on, a team that we talked about in terms of, uh, you know, when we were going through organizations that, you know, question marks. And I don't want to imply that they have a question mark, but Nola Gold last year did not have the best on-field performance. I think they were they had a disappointing year, to say it the least. They have made a couple of signings, re-signing here. Jordan Jackson Hope, a young center who I thought had a pretty good year last year, pretty decent center. They also signed Domingo Saavedra, I think I said his name correctly, a center for Chile who played in the most recent Rugby World Cup. You know, Noel also has J.P. Duplessis. They've got some exciting centers there. Um, I think they always did, but that's an interesting pickup. But then they signed prop Augusto Bome. I think I'm saying that correctly, but he's uh, a prop from Uruguay, played in the Rugby World Cup. He's a top-notch player. Looks like Nola Gold's kind of retooling, trying to, you know, I think they were a little upset about their performance last year and everyone dogging them. But what do you think so far of Nola Gold making some moves? It's one of those where Nola Gold is one of those teams where it seems like they've got a great team every offseason. And then... And you see them on the field play a couple of games and they look spectacular. And then they just seem to not quite be able to put that together into a a winning season or a playoff run. The the number of times they've just barely missed the playoff is, is pretty impressive. Hopefully I do hope this is their year. I mean, I know that, you know, they're going to, they're a rival team and all that stuff, but like I, I do want Nola to make it to the playoff this year. I think I think they've earned it. I think that fan base has earned it. They've come so close so many times, and hopefully they can do it this time. Hopefully uh, these new additions are, are what they need to, to get over the hump. My question is, <laughs> what uh, what conference are they in, right? Or what, That's you, true. Know, you know, I think you're right. Your point to, like, make it two again, or make it just one, and everyone plays each other, and then... yeah. But the way it's currently constructed with where they had the, the three divisions, I think that's that's not going to work because there's only three teams in the East right now. So, um, you know, they kind of got that middle of the country flavor, you know, ge- geography closer to the middle of the country, obviously, than the teams on the East Coast. But anyway, so we'll have to see uh, where they go. And, hey, KP, it's kind of funny. We've done reverse order here. Normally we lead off with OG DC News, and now we're finally getting to OG DC news on an old glory DC fan podcast. So why don't we jump into that? Um, since we last spoke, there's been a couple of player moves here. The first one, a re-signing. Our boy Koi Koi Nelligan, young hooker from West Point, who really is you know kind of a more of a flanker in college. You know, he he did get on the field a little bit at the end of last season. I liked Koi Koi. I got to chat with him. After one of the games uh, last year, in fact, the only game I went to was that Atlanta game, which was a lot of fun. Um, chatted with him for a little bit. Uh, impressive young man, but uh, he's coming back as a hooker. What do you got to say about Koi Koi? Yeah, he's one of those uh, sort of impressive talents out of college that everyone figured would go in the draft somewhere. And, and he did. He got drafted by San Diego, actually. And then we we drafted Jack Manzo as a hooker, and then he didn't end up 
signing with us and so we we went and traded for koi koi instead and he's you know one of those an explosive athletic talented player and so the only question mark with him coming out of college was how is he going to fit in as a hooker because like you say that wasn't really a role he played in in college and he seemed to do pretty well in his his two games for old glory last year he certainly looked he didn't he didn't look wildly out of place or like he was he was struggling too much so hopefully he gets a few more opportunities this year hopefully he can continue to develop and and grow as a player and and take on a bigger role yeah well glory thinks highly enough of him to to announce that he's signing there so yeah i hope he he you know can can compete and fight for some more uh play minutes um, when he was out there high motor type of guy right you're not going to yeah. get you're not going to see him not play at 100 percent. so um you know that'll, that'll carry you a long way on a rugby pitch if you can get from breakdown to breakdown with the energy that he brings but they weren't done yet signing hookers well glory dc they picked up uh, an argentine hooker martin martin vaca i think i pronounced that correctly um akp what do we know about him yeah so vaca is an interesting one he he came up in the argentinian club rugby scene and then joined the um superliga americana de rugby team the he joined argentina's entry into that which is sort of the south american equivalent of mlr and was on they won the the championship there and then he moved to france has been playing for narbonne for the last couple of years and and is now moving to us so he He's only 22 as well. He's you know played played three or four years of professional rugby and is, is only 22. So he, he started young and he's he's accomplished a lot already. So it's he seems he's young but but experienced and I expect him to have a pretty big role on the team com- going forward. I mean he's pretty much the replacement for um why can't I remember? I can never remember his name. Nick Suchan is pretty much the replacement for Nick Suchan. I don't know why I have such a hard time remembering his name. Um, it's like he left the team and I was just like, nope, doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, so he's pretty much going to be the replacement for Nick Suchan. I mean, whether he starts or whether he's coming off the bench will depend how you know he competes with... Um... <laughs> Gattas, yeah. Um, Facundo Gattas. And, you know, how that competition, you know, the better player will, will see the field and will will get to play there. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for him. Seems cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think uh, you said competition at every position is fantastic. You know, there's big names on this team. And certainly you could put a couple of names in pen. But, you know, if you can put pencil, what I mean by that is, hey, just because you've been a starter before doesn't mean your spot is guaranteed. Guys want to play, and they want to compete, and that's going to drive everyone to get better. So more competition, particularly in the front row there and with some of those young hookers like Koi Koi who could, who can develop more and, and fight for some more playing minutes and steal some minutes from guys. You know, I think that's going to drive everyone uh, to get better. So excited to see all these names coming into camp. And I'm looking at the calendar, and the camp really is about a month 
Oh, wait. It's crazy. <laughs> the start of the season, at least training camp's coming out. I think January 22nd or something like that is the official start of camp. But I'm seeing videos on social, guys working out, training with each other. Um, you know, I'm, uh, MLR may be, I don't want to say shaky ground, but, you know, as for the players, they're, they're ready to go and play. So, which brings me to this next interesting uh little story here and Doug Coyle first shared this from an article that he found and then America's Rugby News got on it and maybe you know elaborated a bit more on it but it seems like this is could be pretty real there's a team based in Monterey Mexico that has expressed interest or will be trying to join MLR in 2025 AKP interesting right because We've lost an international team, right, the Toronto, but could be gaining another one, <laughs> a new team in 2025. A lot's going to have to happen between now and then. Um, what are your thoughts on that? When you first heard that, like, did you think, ah, oh, this is just ridiculous? Or, you know, tell me what you're thinking when, or what you're thinking about right now, this, this potential team, MLR team based in Mexico. It's one of those that people have been talking about this for a little while. I think there's been interest you know anytime you say mlr is a north american league you think okay so usa and canada but then what's the other big country in in north america mexico you know it's always been there as a a sort of interesting expansion option i know there have been discussions about potentially having a um, super rugby americas against major league rugby sort of exhibition finals in the or championship thing in mexico before i don't nothing's ever happened on that but it's it's cool to see some sort of actual definite proof that there is people there are people you know actually taking action on it in mexico because usually all the discussion we hear is from mlr existing mlr fans in the u.s saying oh wouldn't it be cool if and so seeing actual movement from the the from a group in Mexico to get a team started there that I think that's really cool. You know what's interesting about that too is and this came out, you know, a couple of days later from America's Rugby News, but Super Rugby Americas is interested in and they want to expand having two more teams, at least two more teams enter their competition, probably South American based um, teams, but you would think you know, given like the uh, the language, you know, the shared language, and just talking Spanish here, so forgive my ignorance. But you would think, hey, team based in Mexico would be easier if um, that they that squad played in Super Rugby Americas. But if you look at the geography and just how big things are, you know, Monterey is isn't that far, you know, um, south of Houston and Dallas and New Orleans and Chicago and. You know Los Angeles, you know San Diego. So perhaps it does make more geographic sense for them to join Major League Rugby, and and maybe the long tail forward thinking opportunity that is rugby uh, in the U.S. And, and Canada and all that. So that's one thought. But the other thing too is as I just think about this, and it's not related too much. But a couple of years ago, do you remember the conversations about a, a team in Hawaii that I was thinking about yeah. uh, joining joining the league, and obviously the distance and the cost and all that stuff would be uh, an issue. But um, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by an international team wanting to join Major League Rugby and make this, I guess, another 
an international competition yet again. It could have an interesting effect on the player market too, because I imagine a team in Mexico probably wouldn't have a, a hard time attracting some U.S. talent, and presumably a Mexican players would start counting as domestic in the league, and you could see a lot more Mexican players in MLR. Because right now, I mean, I know there there have been a few mexican players signed to mlr teams in the past but they've they've always counted as foreign players and in general with the the limited number of foreign player slots for the most part those have been used on players from traditional rugby powerhouses you know either south american countries uruguay argentina um, or you know new zealand or australia england france those sorts of players so it'll be, it it would be interesting to see if see an increase in in Mexican players in MLR. Yeah, which brings up the next question. It's like, what's the argument for or against uh, considering these players domestic, right? If if for the sake of MLR, right, Canadian players were considered domestic, right? They considered if even if they were playing in a U.S. Um, team, wouldn't then you just consider the the players from Mexico domestic because it's you know right or or would you consider those international players and then mess up that international player slot I think you'd have to consider them domestic just like you did for Canadian like we still do for Canadian players so far the MLR has not made any statement to the to the contrary on Canadian players so I think as far as I can tell they're still considered domestic players presumably so that if a Canadian team does rejoin, there's there's no huge disruption there. But yeah, I think you'd have to consider Mexican players domestic regardless of what team they were playing for. That's sort of the model that MLR has laid out. And personally, I like it. I think I don't think it significantly disrupts the the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has so many teams that I I don't think you know they can absorb whatever handful of Mexican players will be will be joining and you know I really think it goes to the MLR's sort of secondary goal of developing domestic players for the national teams of the countries that have teams here you know teams in the league and especially Mexico that's they're a as a national team they've They've made a lot of progress in recent years, but they still have a long way to go. I think them having the opportunity to put young players in Major League Rugby, to have a team professionally competing in Major League Rugby, I think that would be hugely advantageous for them. It could be game-changing for for them as a team. Yeah, and I I think there is that angle, right? And I think about um, the U.S. trying to help other nations around them lift themselves up, right? Because if we go back to the conversation on all the brouhaha over, you know, the rebranded America uh, Pacific Nations Cup and, you know, uh, how come World Rugby and USA Rugby isn't doing enough to help other nations are, are around them, is this a way to say, hey, actually, you know what, we are trying to make this all work with Canada. And yes, the arrows folded, but, you know, the US and Canada are still going to play each other. We'll get to figure that out. But, hey, Mexico is... You know, that, I don't know, I hate to say third tier, but that up and coming, you know, a, a, a 
Central American, North American, North American nation that uh, wants to uh, increase their quality of their rugby. And since they are right below us and so close to us, we can get them in. Because again, if we can make all the other nations around us in this part of the world all better at rugby, that's going to benefit all of us, right? Professional opportunities for players, international um, opportunities, right? I, I just... This could be a way to kind of punch back at that um, that narrative that USA Rugby is forsaking their their neighbors, even though Canada is joining that Pacific Nations Cup. So you know, I love to see it. I hope it happens. I really do hope that there um, it can come together, and in twenty twenty five we can celebrate the fact that there is now a Mexican team based in MLR. I just think that would be you know a, a really cool story, especially if all the teams that are playing in twenty twenty four do come back from twenty twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> there's still a long way to go. Has to be said. I mean, you know, we we've, we've got a report. The actual report was that, you know, they're they got legal advice recommending that they, you know, sign a deal, and you know, in hopes that eventually they'll become an MLR team. So there's there's no official word from anyone that this is is going to happen. So don't get your hopes up too high. But it's certainly. It certainly could happen. Seems to be, you know, being talked about and being seriously considered. You know, so I guess you know, you know, before we kind of jump to our closing segment here, um, AKP, I guess, given everything that has happened in Major League Rugby over the last two weeks, how are you feeling now about the league? I'm feeling good. I think. I think we have learned that the the league is a little more unstable than, you know, there was before it was, it was an open question of like, you know, what, what does it take for a team to collapse, a major league rugby team to collapse? And we didn't really have conclusive proof. I think now we know, and it's unstable ownership is really the, the key. If an MLR team is going to succeed, it needs passionate and financially committed owners and and that's i and i think that actually has made me a little more it's easy to get doom and gloom about that but honestly that makes me a little more confident because that is a bar that a lot of teams can clear including old glory because when you think about it the teams that have collapsed haven't even necessarily been the teams that have been bad on the field i mean toronto had a rough couple of years but before that they were excellent and new york i mean they, they won the whole gosh darn thing not that long ago and they were in the playoffs last year so I think it's I think it's clear that what's important is the ownership group and that actually makes me feel pretty good about where the league is because I think a lot of the remaining ownership groups are fairly stable seem to be in fairly good places and I I think that bodes well for the the future of the league you know, it's funny, for, for rugby really to gain acceptance, right, for other people to know about it, I think it needs to kind of burst through that cultural, maybe, awareness ceiling. And there were two positive things, kind of positive things that I'll talk about, about how maybe rugby is starting to get onto to the mindset of, uh, say, your NFL fan, right, which I think is, hey, if, if there's, a, there's, there's one sporting fan base here in the U.S. that it seems like would could be fans of rugby would be college football fans and, and NFL fans, right, to an extent. 
<laughs> in one of the worst NFL games in recent memory, the Minnesota Vikings played the Las Vegas Raiders. They, the score ended up being a 3-0 win, I believe, for Minnesota. So not a fun game, but an awesome venue there uh, in Vegas. I don't know if you saw it, but there was like a there was an interview during the game with kind of random, but and it's not rugby union, but there were a couple of people who were trying to promote a rugby league game that's going to be taking place um, at uh, Allegiant Stadium, I think is what it's called, um, uh, there in Las Vegas. But there was a rugby ball in someone's hand, and they were talking about rugby. And again, it was league, but if you ask you know, the average sports fan, they're not going to know the difference between rugby union and rugby league. But it's interesting that it was on a major broadcast, right? So someone out there probably saw them throwing around this rugby ball. Okay, what the heck is that? Maybe they took a YouTube, you know, deep dive or a Google search. Okay, things like that, you know, it'd be cool. MLR did do that. I think the USA Men's Eagles did do that um, a couple of years ago with Nate Osberger and Gary Gold. Maybe that was LA when there was kind of like this crossover, you know, there was... They did some type of like halftime banner interview. More of that kind of stuff that can happen, I think, is is great, particularly if it doesn't cost that much money. But the other thing, the other thing, and this is where it, it goes to Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. But in the in that Kansas City Chiefs game against the Buffalo Bills, and in a call and in a play that was called back because the player was lined up offsides and there was issues about that, but. All pro tight end, Travis Kelsey, who just happens to be dating the most famous, biggest pop musician of our generation, Taylor Swift. Travis Kelsey made a play, caught the ball, and it wasn't a football play. You know, it wasn't a rugby underhand pass, but it was a one-handed lateral backwards that was a nice spiral to a wide-open Chiefs player who caught it and ran for a touchdown. Would have been the game-winning touchdown when the play was called back because one of the players lined up off sides, but... Everyone was like, oh, that's a rugby play. Can you imagine if you bring rugby to to NFL? But a play like that, and if people can talk about rugby, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> to me, I was excited about that. Because, again, we've seen a couple of plays now in the NFL where it seems like the Chiefs and others are trying to do that, keep the ball moving, lateral type play. If we can have more of that, and even if the broadcasters are calling the, the tush-push a scrum, even though it's not a scrum, they're rugby turns. More people are hearing rugby turns, mind associating. I think it's got to be good things, right? Or am I just am I drinking too much coffee here? No, I think it's correct. I think, you know, it's all about mind share. It's all about getting people to be aware of these this sport. And some percentage of them are going to become real proper fans. But you know, even if not all of them do, they... You know, if you've heard of the sport, then you might say, oh, I wonder if there's a rugby team near me. Or you might say, how do I watch some rugby? How do you, how do I, and you know, even if you just pick up some casual fans who will show up every now and then, or, you know, will have some understanding of it when they f- find it on TV or, or that awareness is, is important, I think. I'm excited, you know, maybe teams playing the Chiefs now have to be uh, aware of more, you know, rugby plays. And I, th- I think it's, it's funny because this goes back to sticking with NFL for a second, but Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, well, a couple years ago brought in a couple of rugby players to help his players tackle better, right? Like rugby tackle form, right? You know, head behind yeah. and you know wrapping and chopping and, and, and bringing down as opposed to like kind of like these reckless just diving at the knee type tackles. Um, and anytime you kind of see that, and you're like, that's great news, right? Like, again, anytime we can get rugby 
talked about on broadcast sporting events. Like you said, just getting it out there a little bit more. So NFL and the Chiefs and whomever else continue to keep that up. You know, send a DM to some big local rugby players. <laughs> they can help you out if you want to learn how to, you know, throw an underhand lateral on a rugby with an NFL ball. But anyway, all right, AKP, um, closing segments here as we try and wrap up this episode. But because the New York and Toronto player dispersal draft is taking place uh, today on Wednesday, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing about, you know, who is going to be signed if you were the Miami Sharks, who have the first pick in this player dispersal draft, who would you take for Old Glory DC? Say, 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 say. for Old Glory. Oh, DC. you know what? That's that's okay. Let's try this again. Two part question. You're in Miami. Who do you take? And then Old Glory DC. We're picking eighth. Who do you think might be available? And who would you take? So I'm going to start with Old Glory DC. I think, I think Nick Ben, the who's a domestic center for for Toronto, I think would be a great option. I think he was injured last year, so he didn't really seem to, you know, I don't think he really caught a lot of people's attention last year, so he, he might still be available that far down the draft, but he's domestic, and he's he's a center, which is a position of need for old glory right now. And he has extensive experience in France, and I think he would just be a, a great addition to the the roster. If I just could pick anyone, if I was if I was Miami, whew, I, I mean the the answer would probably I think I'd take Lucas Rumble. I mean it's it seems. There's a lot of good options. I don't think you could go wrong with a with a first pick at the with in this draft, but but Lucas Rumble has been just a, such a solid MLR player for so long. He counts as domestic again, and yeah, that, I think he he'd be my first choice. Those are all good picks. I think if you're Miami, you know you look at domestic players. You know, there's certainly some international players. You know that would you know that would love to have you know like a Jason Emery at center maybe or you know a Fasi Fuatai but uh, you know I think I'm looking domestic and you know <laughs> Dylan Fawcett's gone so you know maybe you look at a guy like Caleb Geiger or a guy like maybe you know Chance Wengluski or or someone like that you know I do like Lolani Falava he's the loose prop who plays for the Arrows big big guy you know if you want to take a chance on an international then you'd be one i'd take a look at i don't think you can go wrong with lucas rumble if you're old glory dc this is interesting right because you know you're picking eighth here so you're gonna have a lot of players go away you know maybe if there's a lock like a brad tucker or a charlie hewitt around you know i'd take a look at them to see if you know if they're available uh nate osberger <laughs> i don't know if nate osberger's gonna be around but you know scrum half wing coverage you know he'd be just the energy that he brings the leadership that he brings i think that would be interesting um but yeah oh glory you know they're gonna have an interesting you know maybe carol Pryor. i think he's a domestic pong pago Haini, he's domestic those could be those could be some interesting options there eight man maybe a little more coverage there uh, but uh i'm excited to see what 
that's going to happen here with this player dispersal draft and just where players are going. And I hope a lot of these players do end up finding a spot on a roster. And it sounds like if you do opt into the draft, um, your salary will not count against the cap. Um, yeah. Which is interesting, which also leaves some kind of like, what are the, what's the under the table shenanigans that might happen? I mean, but it has to be that way because at this point, most of the, the teams have spent up to their player cap and it, their salary cap. And so there's there just wouldn't be space for most of these players if you didn't exempt them from the salary cap. I wonder if there, I think there are still some rules in place about how much you're allowed to pay them. But um, yeah, it could it could be a great, a very highly profitable moment for some of these players. Although they'll also have to negotiate their moving fees and there's there's very little guaranteed for them in this draft it's really up to what they can negotiate with the teams absolutely and i'm sure we'll, we'll hear from the u.s rugby players association as they continue to monitor this and look out for what's the best interest of the players so you know i'm excited for our episode next week as we kind of maybe talk about where some of these players are going and what that looks like maybe we'll have some news on this la franchise maybe we'll have a look at the 2024 season schedule you know something like that or maybe they'll mlr wait a couple of days before christmas try and do a little news dump we'll see it wouldn't put past them but um exciting stuff still here in the glorious rugby podcast so much more to talk about we appreciate y'all listening for my co-host alistair kirschpool i am john fitzpatrick you've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. Oh, glory.